0: All right, we want to welcome everybody to Spruce Grove Community Church this morning. Just before we get started, I wanted to read something I found in the church archives. I was uh, messing around because in a couple weeks here, I think we have our uh, annual general meeting. And uh, we're all writing our little reports for it. And I went back all the way to 2002. And in 2002, I found one of our reports... And this is when I was a youth pastor of the church and uh, much more creative then than I am now just by looking at this. Uh, It was interesting because I looked at the name of the youth group back then and it wasn't the community, but it was community. And I kind of was laughing about that because I remember we had actually made sweaters, the whole thing. And I forgot about that even when Paul was, you know, first introducing the community concept. But I want to read something to you that I found in here. Uh, about one of our wonderful people here in the church, Mr. Ben Lotz, who would have been how old at the time, do you think? 2002? 15? 15 or 16, Ben Lotz, all right? So it says, this year, when Ben Lotz went out to White Ave to evangelize, we did this as a youth uh, event, he prayed that as he walked the streets that someone would see the light of Christ within him. As he was coming back to meet with the rest of the team, someone stopped him and asked him, what he was doing on White Ave. He basically told him he was with the church just walking the street. The guy looked at him and said, I knew it. I could see the light above your head. He saw a banner of Jesus across Ben's head. And I remember that day. Do you remember that day? Because I also remember Pete LaRiviere ministering to someone on the streets and God touching their lives. And I read this, and it just made me think of something. You know what? It's time that people see that again. We were chatting a little bit in pre-service prayer, and Derek prayed a couple prayers, and it made me think of something. Derek, come and share just briefly. Do you remember what you said? I can't even remember how you said it. It's better you say it than me.
1: Okay, well, needless to say, it was really awesome. We need to understand that before, before our great-great-grandfather's grandfather's grandfather was born, God knew us. God said, oh man, Derek, you know, 1956, Derek's going to be born. And that's going to be awesome. And I have an anointing that I want to place on him. I have a calling and a mantle that I want to put on his shoulders. I've got something that I want him to walk in. God had that Understood and planned and ordained and set in place centuries before you could even imagine such a thing. And this morning, our challenge is simply to walk in that. It's so easy for me to look and say, oh, if I could only play guitar like Ben or if I only had a voice like Ben, If I could lead like Ken leads, if I could prophesy like Jesse prophesies, then I would give myself wholeheartedly. But the Lord isn't asking you this morning to be like Ken or Ben Loates. The Lord is asking you to move farther along in the gifting and the calling and anointing that's on your shoulders. It's so natural for human beings to want to have something they don't have. This morning could we just move 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 if you're a door opener this morning if you're a if you're a John the Baptist this morning an Isaiah an Elijah if you're that kind of a person could you just move in that and and smash out a doorway so that others can enter in. Can you move in that? Can you do that? Can you bring that this morning so that whoever takes this mic can take this mic with boldness because you opened a doorway? Can Ben play wholeheartedly because you brought something that made it possible for Ben to move in that? We say this morning, Lord, we say this morning, Lord, that we are going to move wholeheartedly in who we are. We are going to push the envelope. We want more of our calling, more of our own gifting, more of our mantle. We want to walk in that more perfectly. We want to give ourselves wholeheartedly to what you are calling us into as individuals.
0: That's why I asked Derek to do it, because I wouldn't have done it exactly like that. But I want to share this as we go into worship right now. Is I shared a little illustration, and as Derek was sharing that, it made me think of my daughter Mally. And I've shared this before on a Sunday, but I remember the first time she jumped off a diving board. And the first time she jumped off a diving board, she was wearing her life jackets. She was probably wearing those little things you put around your arms and stuff like that. She was so little and cute. And when she got on the diving board, she stood there and she looked at me, and then she looked at the water, she looked at the diving board, and she probably did this for a good five minutes straight. And Dad's just saying what? Just jump. There's a lineup behind you. Come on and jump, right? And she's looking at it going, I'm not. And she's got a smile on her face, but she's scared. And so she finally gets to the end of that diving board. And I'm watching her. You can do it. And she looks. And as she jumps, she jumps with her hand in the air, almost grabbing the diving board on her way down. She goes in completely awkwardly looking foolish and silly. And everybody else is probably looking at her going, what was that? And then she gets out of the water, and she looks at me with the biggest smile on her face because she'd just done it. And as she got out of the water, what did she do? She went right back to that line, and she did it again and again and again to today where she's jumping off the higher diving boards. And the reality is this, is don't watch anybody else. Don't worry about what Derek's gifts are, what he's talking about. Just jump off the board yourself. In whatever giftings you have, whatever function you function in, jump in it. This morning, in this house, And when you get out of this house, it doesn't end there. You continue to function in those giftings. And we encourage you as leaders today to function as we worship God this morning. Amen? Amen.
2: I'll say this to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. There's a cycle that the Lord has us in, and it's... The picture of the, keep playing, it's the picture of the elders laying their crowns before the Lord. But clearly at some point, they are to pick them back up again. There's a constant cycle going on where the Lord is bringing a check to us. Can you lay this down? Okay, you can. Now pick it back up. There's a constant moving. So the Lord says right now this morning, Do not be afraid. Because what I'm asking you to lay down isn't something that I'm like stealing from you. And that's kind of how we think. I'm going to steal something from you and you don't get it back. No, this is like, I now lay this down before you, Lord. Perfect this thing. And he says, now pick it back up and use it. So there's a process that the Lord is asking of us right in this moment. Can we lay it down? Don't think that he's stealing from you, think he's actually perfecting this. If you've had glasses and you've tried to fix them yourself and bend them back into shape, it's not long before they're just out of joint. If you were to bring it into the person that fixes those things, they fix it perfectly and hand it back to you. Here, wear these now. That is the trade that's going. We have an opportunity right now to respond to this call. I just saw that our crowns
3: are whatever we're recognized for. Our, our gifts, our talents, the things that people notice about our lives And really, in laying down our crowns, we're just simply acknowledging the source. We're just saying, wow, you allow me to wear this, but you are actually the source of everything and all that I have to show and to give.
2: Let's respond to that right now. Let's kind of like re-energize ourselves, put us back into that spot and say, hey, all everything good comes from you, Lord. I give it freely to you, but I want you to feel the exchange take place. And I tell you, if you give yourself to this call right now, you will feel this cycle, this never-ending, growing whirlwind of love that He wants to deposit in us.
4: Now the other side, the reason that Jesse started with do not fear is actually because you don't have to be concerned about getting puffed up and getting proud as long as we continue to remember where the source is, who's the source, where does it come from, how did it get there, and we acknowledge Him in everything, we continually lay down those things, then we're not scared of polishing up the crown either. We're not scared of it shining really, really, really bright because it's not about me. It's actually about, look at what he has made. Look at what he has done. You know, when I hear somebody playing an instrument excellently, and we have many incredible musicians in this church, and I listen to that, they're not showing off. They're polishing the crown. It's, it's offering the best. It's offering the best that we can do. And, and that is something that we never need to be afraid of as long as we continue to acknowledge. And that's why we cast those crowns. That's why the elders do it as well. They're just going, wow, thank you for the reward. Thank you for the thing you've built. Thank you for the thing you've done. You've done it. And then he says, absolutely. Now I'm going to give you the next thing. So, amen. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you.
1: Once the Lord was talking... Um, once I was getting a lot from the Lord about what He wanted to use me for and what He was going to put on me and how I was going to walk in that. And there's this fear inside of me, inside of a lot of us, that if I wholeheartedly go in this, how do I not walk in pride? And I actually verbally said this out loud to the Lord. How will I not walk in pride if I wholeheartedly pursue this? And now, listen carefully. The Lord said to me, don't worry. I know how to deal with pride. So Lord, we say this morning, we're not afraid of pride. We're not afraid that if we go wholehearted, we will end up in some proudful state because we have confidence in you that you know how to deal with pride. You know how to move us through pride. You know how to free us from pride.
5: Heavenly Father, I give you praise, O God, because you see the hearts that have surrendered themselves to you. I give you praise, O God, that you in your great goodness have not forgotten any one of our names. That you know the DNA and all the beauty that you've put in each of us. We say to you this morning that there is no one we would rather surrender to. That you, oh God, of great love and mercy, have chosen this place for you to come and presence yourself this morning. We give you praise, oh God, because you have committed yourself to us to be our shield. And as we come completely vulnerable to you, allowing to allowing you to look into the deepest parts of our soul because we cannot possibly hide ourselves from you, that you are a God who says I will be your shield. And in our vulnerable state, you come and you cover us with your great might and strength. That you, as we offer ourselves to you in all our limitedness, and all of our stuff, Lord God, you offer yourself to us and you say, I want to give you myself. I am the very great reward that I want to give to you. That very small crown that we take off and give to you is replaced with this giant trophy of a God who has all strength and might, who is the authority to throw from his very hands thunderbolts that will be released to keep us protected. Oh God, we say that there's nothing for us to surrender to such a great and wonderful God that nothing else makes sense. You alone are worthy. We open ourselves to you today and we say, oh, that we could look in your face, that today we could see you, that we could catch a glimpse of your glory, that some of the beauty and wonder of our God would be released into us this morning, that we would walk out of here Pure and more holy and more able to glorify the name of our wonderful Lord, our Savior, our protector, our very great reward. We give you praise that you came this morning, that you looked and you saw and that you heard. We give you praise. I give you praise, Father, for the way you're sweeping through this congregation, for the way that you're beginning to to place things in people's lives, for the way that you're beginning to kiss us. Oh, we release ourselves to being kissed by the Almighty God. Oh, we bless you,
0: Lord. So we want to pray a prayer of commissioning over this body. I want Jesse to come up here in a second. I want him to share a story. We went to the... uh, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada General Conference just over a week and a half half ago. And one of the speakers that was talking shared about how the church commissions certain people. And so I'm going to ask Jesse to share about that, and then we're going to do something a little bit different.
2: I've kind of, last time I spoke, touched on some of this stuff, but I think we've done almost a disservice to a large portion of the body of Christ because what happens is is that one day this young person again i'm not saying this is all bad i'm just laying out a scenario one day this young person decides to quit their job and say i'm going to be a missionary and we're like oh wow we pull them up to the front say, look at this awesome person. Again, this is good. But they quit their job and now they're a missionary. And it's great to commission that person and bless that person as they go out. But 99% of the rest of the congregation is sitting there saying, well, I have to go to work tomorrow. Where does that leave me? Because what we've just done is exalted the very thing that I'm not doing tomorrow. And it feels like what I'm about to go to isn't as important as what that person just did. you see that picture? Again, it's not that what that kid did was wrong. It's just that we have done a poor job of commissioning the 99% of the rest of the body of Christ Because Monday morning rolls around and they're right there where that, and they've been doing it for years and years and years. And it's hard to feel that it's as important. It's hard to feel that, you know, going in like wherever you work is as important as some of the stuff going on here. And I mean, I've struggled with that immensely last year. But the Lord is actually, I believe in this season, about to release a commissioning for that 99% of the body that is actually going to be something that releases us to feel like we're actually contributing to the kingdom of God just like it was if you quit your job and went to the mission field. There's actually a time right now that the Lord is saying, I want you to understand that what I've called you into to go into tomorrow morning is where you must be, is actually what I want to commission you so that you actually feel like you're actually contributing something. Because I know and and that my eyes have been open to myself in this over the last year where it feels like you do one thing in the church and then you do everything else outside of the church and the twain shall never meet. But I believe he's about to reveal to us how the merging takes place. It's not saying that there's necessity in the kingdom of God. Just like there's a seed that gets planted into the ground, it needs dirt, it needs rain, it needs sun. Worship, prayer, intercession. There you go. There's something that must be done consistently and continually. We're not saying let go of one thing. We're just saying keep that a part of your life and allow the seed to grow. You see a beautiful building and you see the glass structure and the finished product of the thing. And it's amazing to look at. But you can't see the foundation underneath the ground that it actually sits upon. And so we're not in any way saying that one is more than the other. We're saying that, no, these things must come together, and the Lord wants to reveal right now how they work in unison. Paul himself says, I'm still making tents. (laughs) And yeah, there's reasons that he said that in there, but maybe deeper was that he realized I must now teach people how to combine these two because i know not everyone can be paul i know not everyone can be me i know that not everyone is just going to be doing this forever there's 99 of the other people that have to go to work on monday morning how do we merge these two together and i believe right now that i can you know i can feel like ah. I felt that way. I felt like it's, what I'm doing isn't as important as everything else. I feel like this job is just kind of mundane and it doesn't actually contribute to the kingdom of God. And I want to say that there is an opportunity for that to break this morning. There's an opportunity for that to be broken off of us so that we can actually go in tomorrow morning and say, Hey, I'm here. Just like I showed up yesterday at church. I'm here right now. And so there is a commissioning that can take place, maybe even deeper so that there's a shift that can take place in your heart where you let go of the things like, oh, this isn't as important, and actually pick up the crown once again and say, hey, this is where God has me right now.
0: So what you're doing tomorrow is important. This is one of the biggest, I think, lies that has been out there is that we actually value things higher. At least it comes across that way. And again, trust me, we do want to commission the missionaries. We totally value that 100%. But you need to know, we value you guys because you are missionaries. You are our on-the-ground missionaries that on Tuesday are going back into that realm that, I mean, that the enemy is rampant. There's a lot of issues. You guys go home after work, and I mean the stuff that you carry with you that's from the enemy. To weigh you down, to discourage you, to crush you. Yet you have a responsibility in that place, and it's to be the light of Jesus. You are truly missionaries, and as a body where we haven't commissioned you to do that, we apologize to you. Because we need to do that. So I'm going to ask you as a body to stand, and I'm going to ask Jim Denotter to come and just pray a prayer of commissioning over the body that on Tuesday, that you, when you take that step, you are commissioned to be Christ leaders, the light of God in whatever environment you go in, whatever else you do.
4: So, Heavenly Father, I pray even right now that over the hearts and minds of everybody in this room and deep into their souls, deep into their spirit, you would place your commission, your direction. Lord, the fact that each one will know clearly that they're walking in obedience to your purpose in their life even though that may seem somehow in our own minds like a lower purpose, Father, that we would actually get our, uh, our, our affirmation from you and from you for our obedience, not for the obvious outcomes, not for the obvious things that are changing, that we wouldn't hold the one who speaks to 10,000, a thousand get saved. Let, we, let us uh, rejoice in that, but let us not envy it. Lord, let us envy those who have the ability to obey your word every day, every step in everything we do. Lord, I pray that nothing would seem mundane as we're walking in obedience to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us that unction in our spirit, that thing that says, I can do all things that I'm called to do through Christ who strengthens me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, change our minds on this, Lord. In Jesus' name.
3: We want to honor what you do. We want to honor what you do. That you actually are carriers of Christ Jesus wherever you go. We honor that in you. We bless that. We, ourselves, commission you as much as we can here to be the carriers of Christ wherever you go, to bring the joy of the Lord into your workplaces, into your homes. We bless you.
6: So probably about a year ago, I was praying at uh, Cam and Teresa's house. And as we were praying, I looked up and their son Corbin paints beautiful paintings. And I was thinking to myself, like, God, I don't, I'm not contributing to your kingdom at all. I'm not doing anything. And I was feeling like woe is me kind of thing and I looked up at this picture that Corbin had painted. It was a mountain and it led into a valley scene with a river running through. And God showed me he said, "You are the mountain and I've given you a valley." So the valley was watered, the river came down from the mountain and watered the whole valley and it was green and alive and vibrant. And at the top of the mountain, there was snow. And God is saying, the closer you are to me, the more pure you are and the more water reaches down into your valley. And he's like, quit feeling sorry for yourself. You don't have a, a missions field. But I gave you a valley. And it, it extended, you know, just not, not just my wife and my kids and my friends. It extended to my work. It extended to everyone that I'll ever meet. They're all my valley. So my walk is crucial, because my valley will die without me.
4: That's right. Heavenly Father, we just ask that we would uh, be receptive to your word this morning, that seeds would be planted and find themselves in good ground, in Jesus' name. Um, so this morning, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jim, and I do business outside of the church, but now and again, I get an opportunity to speak, and so uh that 's today, anyway um, so this morning actually I, I think that what i what, what i 've got and it was interesting thing uh, we had Matt and Megan over last night or yesterday afternoon and and uh, I was kind of saying you know it 's funny it 's this I, I felt like the Lord was saying, this is the topic, and yet." And yet I just don't know how practical it is. And I always like something where I could actually give you an assignment, right? All of you know, oh yeah, Jim speaking, we're going to get an assignment. We're going to have to do something this week. Um, I I like something that that I know that when we go home, my life is already changed in some way. And so I I was kind of saying, yeah, I'm I'm just not sure. Like I feel like this is what the Lord was saying already a couple of weeks ago and some things have come up and whatever. And Matt says to me, you know what, I really feel like the Lord is saying, actually, your only job here is to plant a seed. And he'll, he'll, he'll let it grow from there. So don't sweat it. Don't think you have to plant a tree. You have to plant a seed. The tree's his business. So I thought, okay, then this probably won't take that long. Um, and, and we'll plant some seeds, and we'll see where that goes. Now, uh, basically, it's been an interesting thing. Over the last number of weeks... The topic and, and the words I've heard Jesse say, I've heard Di say, uh, two trees in the garden. There were two trees in the garden. In fact, you know, back about 25 years ago, Rick Joyner wrote a book called There Were Two Trees in the Garden. And the question is, what's, that, what, what's the relevance of that statement? What, why do we say that? What, what is the meaning behind that? And is there a deeper thing than, okay, so there were two trees in the garden, right? There was the good tree and the bad tree, right? Well, well, maybe not so much. So let's let's look into that a little bit, and we'll see why it might matter. So uh, I'm going to be reading uh, a fair bit, surprise, surprise, from the Word of God, starting at Genesis 1. Of course, I said we weren't going to be too long, but I am going to start in Genesis 1, and we may finish. <laughs> no, <laughs> never mind. Um, I've, to, I've been told that if you read the Bible through from beginning to end, it only takes about 60 hours. So, you know, we don't have to be at work until Tuesday. It's good. Genesis 1:12, The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit, and their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. This is in that initial creation. This is before people ever showed up on the earth. God saw that it was what? Good. good. So that means God was able to judge between good and not so good, right? Good and evil, even. God could judge that. He could see it right away. By the way, he had built this stuff, he'd planted these trees. By now, perhaps both of those trees in the middle of the garden had been planted. And he looked, and he saw that it was good. Huh. With both of the trees there, it was good. Interesting. So if we move on to verse 26, then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So as the little rabbit trail, we always have to remember, male and female is the image of God. God is complete. God has male and female in his image, right? Um, Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And this is, this is kind of interesting, because you realize God's making them work. There's not been any sin yet, right? Work is not a result of sin. You were created to work. Sorry. <laughs> you were. And in fact, there's a part of you that if you don't work, it dies, It's important. It's part of being created in the image of God. He created everything. He he worked. He even said he rested afterwards. Verse 29. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that's what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made, And it was very good, okay? So, first of all, we do find there was a place where it wasn't that good, by the way, and that was when Adam was alone. So then God looked and said, it is not good that man should be alone. And then he created woman, and now it was very good, okay? Then, in Genesis 2, verse 8, we'll skip a bit here. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here's an interesting thing. Where did he put it? Right in the middle. It is central, okay, this tree, these trees are central, they're right in the middle, they matter, this is in the garden, this was the garden where he placed man, you know, I've often thought, if he had just put that doggone tree on the other side of the earth, you know, the man could have been in the garden, the tree would have been on the other side of the earth, we'd all be good. No, he placed it right in the middle. Both trees. Interesting. What are those trees again? Was it the tree of good and the tree of evil? No, no, wait a minute. It was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're starting to see something right away. So the knowledge of good and evil is one tree. The other tree is the tree of life. If we really wanted to kind of look at this, you know, to understand the difference between them, we could say one was the tree of life and the other is the tree of death. Does that make sense? But the tree of death has the knowledge of good in it. Hmm. That doesn't mix with our theology really well. I thought we're supposed to do good stuff and we're supposed to be... You know, we're supposed to hate sin. We're supposed to love good, right? Isn't that, isn't that how it's supposed to go? I don't know. seems to me that the knowledge of good and evil is in one tree together, and it's not the tree of life. So we need to we need to look into this, because this, this kind of matters, I think. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Did he say, you eat its fruit, I'll kill you? No. No, he didn't say that. It's like, if you, if you step over the edge of that cliff, you'll get smashed up at the bottom. It doesn't say, if you step over the edge of the cliff, I'll smash you up. It just, it's just a consequence thing. The tree of life grants life you eat of the tree of death you get death it's 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 a real simple deal he's just he, there wasn't a threat here it wasn't a punishment it was a consequence the tree of death breeds death that's that's how that works so he says if you eat its fruit you're sure to die now here's an interesting thing so adam and eve have everything they need in the garden it says that have everything they need all the food, all the, everything they need. And they don't have the knowledge of good and evil. Because they're not allowed to eat from that tree. Which means they didn't need it. They did not need to know the difference between good and evil. What? How does that even make sense? Didn't matter. There was no need because all they had to do was pursue life. Pursue life. They had no knowledge of evil. Did you realize that? Did you know that we weren't created to have to know good and evil? We actually suck at it. We are really, really bad at it. So, God, He's a judge, right? So, we are created in His image. So, therefore, we should be able to judge, right? Should be able to. We're created in his image. In fact, the Bible goes on to say later on that we are, we will be judging angels. So judging is a big thing. Judging what? Between good and evil? Uh uh-uh. uh. No way. We weren't even supposed to have to know that stuff. Life and death. That's it. We were created to judge between life and death, not good and evil. This, uh, kind of goes interesting, because, well, let's let's read Genesis 3 here, and just see where this goes here for a moment, and then we'll come back to this discussion. So the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And and I'm telling you, you know, just, I I believe man was fundamentally changed after the fall, and I think so was the serpent. Uh, Evidently, the serpent was previously beautiful and not overly scary and really clever even even when it wasn't Satan masquerading as a serpent. So, one day he asked the woman, did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? We're going to be talking a little bit later about taking thoughts into captivity. This is one where that would have worked really well. Unfortunately... This thought was not taken into captivity. In fact, this thought was played with. So she says, of course, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, which he didn't say. And if you do, you will die. Ah, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her. You Catch that, by the way, right? She wasn't all by herself being tempted by the serpent, with her husband off doing something important elsewhere and then coming upon her later and going, what have you done? And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I've always found it interesting, as a little rabbit trail, that the very first thing they noticed, the very first thing was their own nakedness, so, you know, just in case you ever have heard somebody and you need to take that thought captive, but justifying things like pornography, etc., and saying, well, you know, it's, nobody's getting hurt, whatever, whatever. I'm telling you, the very first thing they noticed when they ate the fruit was that nakedness was shameful to have uncovered. Very first thing. So, that one's for free. That's not what we're speaking about. But, um, so, we realize That before they ate, they had no need for the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, God wanted to protect them from it because the very fact of the knowledge of good and evil coming into them was going to create death in them. And I'm telling you that the death was immediate, okay? We're not talking about the physical death. There was a death that happened immediately. I mean, they ate the fruit and they went, "Uh uh-oh, the world has changed. We suddenly have to deal with... With this ridiculous good and evil thing, which we're really not very good at. And so, you know, the first thing they did is hide themselves. Let me tell you what happens when we concentrate on the knowledge of good and evil. Well, you gotta hate sin, right? And you gotta do good stuff. So now you gotta figure out what's the bad stuff and what's the good stuff, and then shoot. What if that thing I thought was good is actually bad? Uh-oh. So now I better create... I know. I know. It's like we're going down the road, and it's got nasty ditches on both sides of the road, and so we put up guardrails, right? We need to have guardrails everywhere because we've got to protect ourselves in case, in case we do evil. So what do we do? We make rules, Okay. We do our best. Okay, so God, what's evil? Because then we'll make a bunch of rules so that, in fact, let's, let's make the rules a little bit this side of it so that we don't even get close. So we'll just make lots and lots and lots of rules. Because rules are easy to obey. Because when we know the rules, we do it right all the time. Shoot, no. In fact, every time you make another rule, it's one more thing I know I'm doing wrong. In fact, the fact of the matter is, the more rules there are, the more things I'm guilty about. Because I do that wrong, too. Shucks. I'll tell you what. I'll just, I'll just be really, really, really good. I mean, I'll be so good, everybody will notice how good I am. Oops. You know what being good produces? Pride. So being good produces pride. Being bad produces death, so does being good. Whoa, wait a minute. Being good also produces death. This is so confusing. What am I supposed to do? If being if if if, if this whole good evil thing, if good's no better than evil, by the way, good is not no better than evil, just so we're clear. <laughs> the pursuit of good is no better. The pursuit of evil is is truly going to mess you up, okay? But I'm telling you, the knowledge of good and evil does not bring life. It simply doesn't. And, and really, this whole thing about good and evil, it's actually what source are you connected to? You know, uh, Joel gave us a fabulous picture of the mountain and the, and the water. I'm going to give you the picture that, you know, Gaylene and I have been using here for the last little bit. Was that just in a conversation between us, or did that come out here? Oh, it came out here. Okay. Um, So, some time ago, I guess, I got up and I said something, and I talked about the fact that a hose simply carries water from a source to where it's supposed to go, and that, really, that's our job. We're just the hose. Bunch of hosers, right? Our job is to be a hose head. We, we connect up to the source, and we carry that source to where it's to go. We don't produce the water. We don't, we don't uh, actually clean the water, or we don't dirty the water necessarily. We just, we're just a hose. We just take it from one place to another place. But I'm telling you right now, you can only be connected to one source. And this was the problem with the trees in the garden. Because once they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happened to the tree of life? God cut it off from them. He put angels to guard it, and he said, no, 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 no. They chose that source. So they can't have this one then. One source, okay, in terms of the tree at that point in time, until, until there's a redemption that comes. And so the fact of the matter is, and I'll tell you what, if you try to come from two sources, let me, let me give you the picture. So we'll do the hose picture here. How many of you have ever seen, you know, you got the hot water tap and the cold water tap and then a Y into there and then a hose coming out the back end. If you turn them both on, does it, you know, you get cold water coming out the one side of the hose and hot water coming out the other side. Nah, not so much. Actually, what you get is just lukewarm water. And we know what God said about lukewarm to the Laodiceans in, in, in Revelation. See, we got all the way from Genesis to Revelation now. <sighs> wow. All right. You know, he said, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Blah. I wish that you were hot or cold. He can do more with cold than he can do with lukewarm, quite frankly. Okay, because lukewarm always thinks it's hot, which is pretty ugly. Okay, so we want to be hooked up to one source, but he put the angels in front of the tree so we couldn't hook up to the tree of life, so we were stuck with the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we know now that the tree of knowledge of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil leads to legalism or lawlessness, one or the other. And what happens, and I've watched it happen, even in the church, at times when I didn't understand, so I, I, I had no revelation on this and couldn't explain it. Um, Gileen has an uncle who's, uh, who was a wonderful man, um, who, uh, Bible college graduate and everything, and later on in life, he threw the whole thing away. Why? Because he couldn't be good. He couldn't do it. And he finally got to the point of saying, well, then God's not good. Because I can't be good, therefore the whole thing is garbage. Forget it. If there's a God, he's not worth serving, because I can't be good. Missing the point altogether, because guess what? None of us can. You can't be good. Oh, wow. But you don't have to be good. Here's the deal. Our job is to hook back up to the tree of life. So how do we hook back up to the tree of life? Because I'm telling you that the wages of sin is death. And what did Jesus pay? Death. So he reaped the wages. He already earned the wages of sin. He got the death. It's done. You don't have to be hooked up to the tree of death anymore. You can be hooked up to the tree of life. So what does that mean to be hooked up to the tree of life? Um, well, let me tell you the couple of, uh, uh, concrete or practical things I knew I I had to get practical at some point, practical things we can do to hook up to the tree of life. The first one, Colossians three, Colossians three talks about setting our minds on things that are above, starting right at the beginning. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Here's verse 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Okay, so here's a first key. We need to actually guard our thinking. We need to actively pursue with our minds even thinking about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Hmm. That's an interesting, like, how do you do that? What are the things of heaven? You have something. Okay, you come up here and you tell them.
3: (laughs) This has just been something that God has put on my heart in the last little while, and there's things that I fuss about. There's things that I worry about. There's, There's things that capture my mind and I get stuck, but... God has been saying to me, what are you thinking about? It's usually when, I, you know, it's usually in the quiet time, so I'm usually laying in bed. It's like, what are you thinking about? And I'm, I know what he's saying. You know, God, when he asks questions, you actually know the deeper meaning of what he's saying. He's, he's saying you're actually thinking on the wrong realm. You're thinking about things of earth. You're thinking about things that you actually can't do a lot of things about. And even if, even if you could do, you're going to fail sooner or later. So he says, he says, what are you thinking about? And so I'm like, okay, I know what you're saying is to set my mind on things above. But I, I it's not obvious, Do you know, have you ever tried that? Like to actually stop thinking about one thing and, and go and put your mind above? Can I just share the, just some of the things that God is, so it's like I, God, how do I do this? Well, just think about my kingdom. And I'm like, well, okay. So I had to start at very, very basic steps. Simply God, you're you're the king. And while you have you have a kingdom and and your kingdom has space, so so we can dwell in your kingdom and and you have authority. In your kingdom, and so I can come under your authority. Like my my thoughts had to be so very basic, but within a couple of minutes of of just starting <laughs> to think, not down here. This I know what Earth is like, but what what is God's kingdom and heaven like? Just within a couple of moments, I recognize. That, oh well, I'm not fretting about what I was, whatever it was before. Like the things that were just so mind-consuming before, um, they just started to fade away. Um, But, okay, you got to know, though, that this happens, like, every day in my life right now, because right now, he's just training me, stop thinking on this level, and start at a very basic place, and start setting your mind on things above
4: all right, so um, there are some uh, there are some things. For instance, in this in Colossians three here, if we if we kind of move um, even to verse five, it does say, or verse eight, no five, it says, "So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with." And it gives a whole list of things to avoid. And you'd say, "Well, isn't that the knowledge of evil again?" Isn't that? And he's saying, "Yeah, let's be clear." If you are pursuing evil, you, you will, in fact, n- create distance between yourself and God. You can hook up to that tree if you want to. So I, I'm telling you that pursuing evil is going to result in disaster. There, there's no doubt. So I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make the case that, you know, do whatever you want. That's the other ditch. You've got legalism in the one side. You've got lawlessness on the other side. And let's remember that, you know, for every mile of road, there's actually two miles of ditch. There's ditch on either side, and, and yet if we're so scared of going in the ditch all the time, then we might as well stay home because we're not going to move on the road. Um, you know, most of us spend most of our time on the road and not in the ditch. You can, you can go lots of places on the road, okay? So we don't need to be so worried about the ditch that we're scared of doing anything. The deal here is we're not talking about lawlessness in any way. What we are talking about is life rather than trying always to figure out what's the right thing. We're talking about what's, what's God saying, what's God doing, who is he? I mean, this morning was so neat because we started simply by declaring the worthiness of God. That's all. It's all. Just, God, you are so worthy of our praise. Like, you, you, you truly are so amazing. And as we do that, I mean, you want to know how you can start plugging into the tree of life? When you start fretting, how many of you ever fret How many of you are not listening? Okay. Okay, everybody whose hand was down. (laughs) All right. So, when we start fretting, how soon are you aware of it? How soon do you realize, okay, now I'm fussing. Now I'm worried. Now I'm, And what about this? Well, what if that? And what if this other thing? Oh, no. And what about, and what about, as soon as we get there, how about just stop for a minute and go, Okay. So what was the thing? How do I become attached to the tree of life? Let's just think about who God is for a minute. How big is he really? Does he in fact hold in his mind right now every single atom in the entire universe and he can keep track of them all and it's not a strain? How big is God he knows every thought, every human being, seven billion of them on the earth is having all at the same time, and it's not a strain. How big is my God and all of a sudden, these things that I'm worried about just don't seem nearly as big. Do you know what I mean? I'm just giving you one little thing i do i'm 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 amazed at just the bigness of God, okay, like that's, you know, that, that, that he's not like, you know, he's not just a bigger version of you, you know, we can't create God in our image, God is, we are created in the image of God, so we have an image, you know, we have a, a part of God's character in us, but the other way around is not true at all. He is so much greater, so much bigger. And as we start to get a revelation of that, we can start plugging into that and saying, this is the God. Like, it's not like anything you're doing is too trivial for him because he's not distracted. He's not too busy. He can handle everything. So he can talk to you about which socks to wear this morning and it's not an imposition. Because maybe he cares that your mind isn't fussing about which socks to wear this morning. Hmm. If we get to verse 10, it says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a gentle, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Wow. We could start to get a hold of that. Christ is all that matters. Okay. Okay. If we get down to verse 16, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives, with all the wisdom he gives. I'm going to come back to that in a second because this is really important. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. We've never done any of that. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wow, that passage is just about everything we talked about here after after worship time. So, let first of all, let me say this: teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Talk to each other about the things of the kingdom. When you get together, the Bible says, when you're on the way, when you're lying down, as you you know, when you get up, as you walk along the way, as you, you know, write it over your doorposts, put on your bumper stickers, whatever. Uh, bumper stickers and doorposts—they're sort of it's the new, new, new living translation. So the, the singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts, that is so critical. Do you know why? It activates our spirits. It gets us in alignment. You might say, well, yeah, but you guys sang that chorus 18 times. Yeah, that's because at the 17th time, we weren't all there yet. Okay? We didn't sing that chorus 18 times because God needed to hear it. We sang that chorus 18 times because we needed to get, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Established. Okay. There it is. So, and whatever you do at work on Tuesday, if you have to work tomorrow, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> okay. Um, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Whatever. Whatever. So when you go to your work, when you go to your school, when you go to home, when you're dealing with your little ones, do it as a representative of Christ. Wow. Okay. All right.
3: I just noticed that it's really hard to do it as a representative of Christ if I'm actually not filled up with a spirit. Have you noticed that? It's pretty hard to represent him if you're actually not... Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to encourage you, and maybe you're going to make this point sooner or later anyway, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. If you actually feel yourself empty, just stop for a moment, and, Lord, generate what needs to be generated in me. Fill me up. Come, Holy Spirit, come fill me up so that what can come out of you is what's linked to that source, that, that source of the Spirit filling us up is what overflows,
4: and as you're hooked up to that source, honestly, praying in tongues, all by yourself. I mean, I, I'll tell you, the number of times I'm walking down the halls at work, and I'm just quietly praying in tongues under my breath, because something's hit, and I'm, I, I, I don't know what we're going to do about it. I just don't, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I, or we're going to go into a meeting. We're going to, you know, I'm going to have a phone call with a customer who's maybe not really happy. Um, you know, I'll just. I just want to be hooked up to that source. That's what I want flowing through me. I want to be a hose. (laughs) Then I I do want to talk about the taking thoughts into captivity thing because actually I think we get that thing backwards about two-thirds of the time. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts, that's the thing that we get wrong most of the time, I think, and teach them. To obey Christ. Do you know what this is telling us? This is telling us, because I think mostly when we think about taking thoughts captive, we believe that's taking our own thoughts captive. And there's a piece of that that's true, that that, that comes into here. But it's not the primary thrust of this passage. The primary thrust of this uh, passage, and it's why I use the NLT as well, because, you know, we we probably all memorized this, or many of us memorized this in the King James, you know. Take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. What does that even mean in English today? Um, if, you, if you read the passage that it's in, Paul is busy actually uh, having a bit of an argument with some people who are busy throwing lots of ideas at him, and he's actually needing to take their thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, to, to, to submit those thoughts under what God is really saying. So what's that all about? I'll tell you right now, we live in an age where there is more information and more people's thoughts bombarding you than has ever existed in the history of humankind. You can be looking at Facebook and getting thumped with ideas that people are seeding into the atmosphere, largely, with wacky ideas. Uh, you'll find there are unbelievable numbers of websites absolutely dedicated to, to uh sorry, big word, eviscerating lots of men and women of God, okay? They are, they're set up for the purpose of criticizing this ministry or that ministry and saying why this guy or that guy is out to lunch. There uh, are thoughts and ideas about every kind of, really, every kind of evil out there as well. And if you allow those thoughts to come into your being and to stew, and you think, well, what about that? I'm telling you right now, the Scripture actually tells us not to do it. We're actually not good at it. It's not something that we're good at doing. It comes back to almost that knowledge of good and evil thing again. And now we're trying to judge this thing. And he says, no, 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 no. If this isn't Christ, just take it captive and submit it to Christ. To a large extent, stop thinking about it. It's so really what he's saying. Stop it. You're not good at that. It will mess you up. So I, I do want to say, you know, when we want to take thoughts captive, as soon as something isn't lined up with the word of God, which does put a requirement on you to know what the word of God is, okay? Because otherwise, how do you know? Maybe it is, maybe it's great. And now we're starting to judge good and evil again. Okay? What we want to do is you just want to line stuff up with life. We want to go to the source. We want to dismiss all of that nonsense because we're not good at it. So arguments from others, arguments from our own minds, we want to take those things captive and say, Jesus, what are you saying about those things? Because I want to be pursuing life. I want life. I want life. It's it's amazing. I've, I've watched my brother Gord teaching here over the last number of years, you know, with Common Ground and whatever, and he continually says, wow, I have had to learn to teach from life instead of teaching from knowledge. Wow. I mean, for those of us who have studied for years and years and years and we like knowledge, how many of us are there in the room that like knowledge? There's, there's a quite a few, okay? There's quite a lot of us who really like to know stuff. But at the end of the day, me coming here and telling you something that I know could produce pride, if you know, could produce whatever. But if I can come here and give you something that God has given me as life, it matters for today, right now, and it, it, it's life to you. That thing is a seed. That thing is a seed that can just explode. Um, I got a bunch of other stuff here. I'm going to go just one thing on Choose Life. Uh, the reality is all of Romans 8 is worth reading. I've printed the whole thing out here. <laughs> and I think what I'm going to do is not read it to you here this morning. So here's an assignment. Read Romans 8. I got an assignment. Yes. And you can go under the word challenge and say, read Romans 8. Okay? Once you've actually done it. <laughs> because I know it's evil to lie. Okay. Whoa. Shh. Deuteronomy 30. The one other thing here. I want to read a piece from Deuteronomy 30. For those of you who've done curses to blessings here, you know, for years and years, you've been steeped in in Deuteronomy 28 through 30. But here we go, starting in, in verse 11. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it's not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It's not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who will cross the sea and bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. So this is the first thing. This is not too hard for you. Says so right here. Okay. Number two. Now listen. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death. Between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. Can i going to go back to a word there in 16. I don't know if 16's up. Let's get 16 up there. Okay. Third line, first word. What does it say? Keep. How do we keep his commands? i got to tell you something. That word doesn't say obey. It doesn't say that. It says keep. And it doesn't even mean obey. It means keep thinking about them. It means keep it forefront in your thoughts. Keep it forefront in your mind. If you know his commands, and you can kind of recite a whole pile of them, you keep them, I'm telling you, your behavior will be fine. Your behavior will take care of itself because you are keeping his commands. If you read Psalm 119, we should do that all this morning. Um, You know, David just talks about, you know, oh, my goodness, your precepts are so lovely. Your laws are fabulous. They're wonderful. And you're thinking, what? Where is he coming from? And what he's doing is he's saying, you're telling me all about who you are. When I read these things, I get an idea of who you are, God. Thank you for letting me see a small part of who you are by me being able to read your precepts, your commands, your laws. So, you know, Galen continues with, with Common Ground as well to just teach the commands of Christ, the commands of Christ. And you think, thinking, well, doesn't that produce legalism? No, it produces life in a big, big way. Why? Because now we've got all these people who are just thinking about what Jesus said. What were his commands? What did he say we were to do? And then it changes who you are. Oh, okay. (laughs) The next generation's now going to come up and take the mic.
7: (laughs) Okay, so God just brought to my mind. uh, My mom and I were talking about something this morning. So I've been doing a Bible study with some people my age for, I don't know, what, two years now? And through it, we've been doing the commands of Christ and the whole keep thing. So this is very current with me. And so the other day, um, I was running on a little amount of sleep due to child not sleeping through the night. And I'm not good when I'm not on a lot of sleep. So Tavis had gotten home from grocery shopping and he comes upstairs and he doesn't like when lights are left on. So he looks at me and he's like, do you know that the food's still out and the lights are left on? And I'm like, yes, I know. I just got up here. Royce was freaking out. I just finished what I was doing. And I like lost it on him. Simple thing. (laughs) And my mom was there and she kind of just looked at me. I was like, don't say anything. (laughs) And then a couple minutes later I go to him and I, I apologize. But As soon as I did it, like as soon as I blew up at him, I'm like, agree with your adversary quickly, repent. You know, like all the different commands that we've learned, because I have them in my head. I've learned learned a bunch of them, and I keep them. Even if I didn't react appropriately in the moment, I was able to go back and be like, these are what I've learned, and now I can go and repent and do those things to make it right.
4: She gets that part from her dad. I mean the repenting quickly. Yeah. Anyway, verse 9. Let's get back to the word. It's life. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by, here we go, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. And I'm telling you, you can so do it. It started that way in verse 11. It said, (laughs) it's not too difficult. So we can commit ourselves to Him. We can keep His commands we can choose life. I was done, so you. I know,
3: because I'm <laughs> just. I'm just gonna li- give a little testimony too. So hopefully, all these different veins that you're hearing today don't confuse you. But uh, uh, God had on Wednesday unveiled something in my heart, and if I were to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I recognized this was very evil, and. I I held on to it, and I'm like, oh, I cannot, How? what am I supposed to do with this, right? And and through various things that I paid attention to, and, and God speaking to me and everything, it's like, you actually need to tell your husband all about what I showed you in your heart. And so I shared with him, finally, on Saturday morning, I held it in my heart. I was kind of getting miserable, too, for that matter, because, you know... because actually when, when you go to the evil side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it does, it just doesn't go well for you anyway, but God it's not. Anyway, so Jim and I shared, I shared it with Jim, and, and I'm like, like, how, how do I even deal with this? Like, you know, I, now that I've confessed it to you, I'm, I feel clean, I feel good, I feel like, you know, next steps, but I how do I how do I navigate this now? And my wise husband who I love very very much um said well, don't think about that. Actually take your focus like I was saying before off of the earthly things and think about the Lord. Like don't even make this an issue. Like you've re- you've turned from it you've you've, br- you've obeyed the lord you've done what you know that you're supposed to do but how to actually maintain that don't let that be your focus let your focus be the lord
4: amen okay you know what i am going to read the first 11 verses of Romans 8 I j- i'm sorry i have to okay all right so here we go and then we will close okay Romans 8, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You don't have to eat from that tree. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. The knowledge of good and evil can't save you. So God did what the law could not do. Hey, hey, obeying the law can't do it. He sent his only son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, But instead, we follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. And that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. If you hook up to that tree, you actually can't please God. Even if all you're doing is pursuing good and trying to stay away from evil. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them don't belong to Him at all. So Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. So we don't really need to get up here and preach at all. All we need to do is read the Word of God, which just simply gives life as we keep it in our hearts and minds. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give each of us constant reminders to turn to you, to turn to you, to hook up to your source of life. And you said it's not too hard, so we believe it. It's not too hard, and we will do it in Jesus' name. Amen.